In our immediate past podcast, we covered choline as a prenatal supplement. The National Association of Medicine, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the AMA, and the CDC all vouch for the importance of prenatal choline during antepartum care and even during lactation. Even the ACOG frequently asked questions lists choline as an important prenatal supplement to take. In that episode, we touched on folic acid and a current debate on social media regarding why professional societies are still recommending folic acid compared to the more biologically active L-methylfolate. Well, are they onto something here? Well, we're going to get to the bottom of this, and we're going to make it very easy to understand. And you got to hang on till the end of the podcast, so we're going to give the final recommendation according to the CDC. Yep. The CDC has a specific point regarding this, and it makes it crystal clear. So, is folic acid important, or should it be folate? Or what about L-methylfolate? Let's get to the bottom of it right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. These recommendations go back to 1998 when the Institute of Medicine's Food and Nutrition Board of the National Academy of Sciences recommended that all women who can become pregnant get 400 micrograms of folic acid each day in addition to consuming food with folate. We're going to get into that difference between folic acid and folate in just a little bit from a variety of food sources. This is when the U.S. FDA required that manufacturers add folic acid to cereal grain products labeled as enriched to lower the chance of neural tube defects from occurring. This was a national move called mandatory fortification and is still going on today. Major organizations, including the ACOG and the CDC, continue to recommend the synthetic form of folate, which is folic acid, for preconception and prenatal supplementation. Of course, the main benefit for this has to do with neural tube prevention. But some studies also show that folic acid supplementation may also help prevent the birth defects outside of the neural tube, including some cleft lip and palate. The two most important factors that determine whether a woman has a blood folate concentration that is high enough to help prevent neural tube defects are the amount of folic acid consumed each day and the length of time that it is consumed before pregnancy. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention recommends women to take 400 micrograms of folic acid every day starting at least, that's at least, one month before getting pregnant. The ideal is to start three months before pregnancy, but at a minimum, they should start one month before conception. For those patients who have a history of delivering a child with a neural tube defect, then the recommended amount of folic acid is 4,000 micrograms, which is 4 milligrams, starting three months before conception and extending until 12 weeks of pregnancy. This recommendation also applies to patients who themselves had a neural tube defect at delivery or whose partner had a neural tube defect. Published data has shown that taking 4,000 micrograms of folic acid before and during early pregnancy can help reduce the risk of having a baby with neural tube defect by about 70%. That's 70 70%. There are vast studies, I mean numerous studies, on folic acid on a population level. This is because when supplementation was introduced in 1998, synthetic folic acid was the only option. It was inexpensive and it was easily accessible, and so it was very well studied, and it remains inexpensive and widely accessible to this day. 
folic acid is a synthetic form of folate, all right? So that's the first difference. Folic acid does not occur in nature. So here's the first clinical pearl. Even though things get grouped together as folate, there are some important differences. So folic acid is the synthetic form of folate. And folate is the term that generally applies to natural food sources of this vitamin. Okay, so folate is natural, folic acid is synthetic. Here's the other big distinction here. Folic acid, the synthetic form, cannot be utilized in the body as is. It has to go first through a conversion process so that the body can actually make it biologically active. And this is what has sparked the debate in social media circles. You see, natural sources of folate that's contained in food does not need to be converted. It's already biologically active. So the big take-home message before we go any further is it's always best to get these things from your diet. But of course, as we stated before, the typical American diet is just not very good. But the best way to get folate is to get folate itself, the natural form, from the diet. But because all of our diets are jacked up, that's why folic acid continues to be recommended. And I said folic acid as compared to L-methylfolate, but we're going to get to that in just a minute. Okay, back to this whole conversion issue. Folic acid has to be converted into L-methylfolate. That's also called methylene tetrahydrofolate. And the way that it's converted to this biologically active form is through the enzyme called MTHFR. And this is what, again, has sparked the debate in social media because there is some evidence that up to 40 or 60%, based on who you read, of the general population can have a genetic variant, a polymorphism of methylene tetrahydrofolate reduction. Ductase. In other words, they have a polymorphic variant. And so the social media now discussion or craze or whatever you want to call it is now saying, well, wait a minute, we're, we're recommending something that up to 40 to 60 percent of people cannot break down into an active source because of these polymorphisms. So therefore, folic acid is bad. Folate is good, and if you're not going to get folate from your diet from, again, green leafy vegetables, then you should really supplement not with folic acid, but with L-methylfolate. And I have to be very honest, that logic is absolutely valid. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Hey, if you've got some kind of polymorphism that you cannot convert synthetic folic acid into the biologically active, more natural form of L-methylfolate, then take the L-methylfolate. The argument sounds good. But is it clinically appropriate? Those are two different things, right? Because they can actually both be right, but not meet in the middle. And that's what's going on here. The argument that some people can have genetic variants of MTHFR and therefore not convert is valid. But it's not, I want to repeat, it's not actually clinically appropriate. And I'm going to get to the CDC answer at the end. So hang with me because we're going to work through this. I'm going to show you why the two don't match. Yes, some people can have a polymorphism, but it actually really doesn't matter. Folic acid is still okay, and I'm going to give you that answer as we work through this with the final statement at the end. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Before we get to L-methylfolate as a supplement, since this discussion has to do with methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase and its mutation and polymorphisms, then the question is, well, wait a minute, if that's the issue, then why don't we just screen people for MHTHFR mutation or polymorphism and then go from there? Well, we don't and we shouldn't. Because in general, medical experts do not recommend testing for the common MTHFR gene changes. The reason it's not recommended is because it doesn't change or affect clinical management at all. And speaking about screening for MTHFR mutations, remember that ACOG and the SMFM state, please do not include MTHFR mutation screening for recurrent pregnancy loss, early preeclampsia workup, or for thrombophilia screening. Those are not indications for MTHFR evaluation. And that's stated in ACOG Practice Bulletin 197, specifically talking about thrombophilia evaluation. So just to be clear, there is no real medical indication for MTHFR mutation testing in routine clinical practice in any group. In 2013, the American College of Medical Genetics recommended that MTHFR genetic testing not be ordered as part of the clinical evaluation or risks for blood clots or recurrent pregnancy loss or most other medical conditions. They simply recommend what ACOG does. Just take 0.4 milligrams of folic acid per day for all women of childbearing age, quote, regardless of MTHFR status, end quote. And even back in 2013, ACOG recommended against screening homocysteine levels or MTHFR status, quote, because of the lack of association between the MTHFR C677T polymorphism and any negative pregnancy outcomes, including any increased risk for DVT or PE, end quote. All right, so let's stop right here. So since most of the discussions on social media have to do with MTHFR and the polymorphism because we're giving women folic acid and we're not even checking if they've got this mutation or polymorphism, all medical agencies and organizations say, relax, we don't have to check for it because it doesn't alter any kind of clinical management. And again, at the end of the podcast, I'm going to give you the CDC stance because it specifically addresses this and answers why folic acid is still okay for the vast majority of people, even though 40 to 60% have some kind of polymorphism of this gene in the population. It's all right. Well, then the next rebuttal becomes, well, wait a minute. If we're not checking for MTHFR, then we should check for its byproduct of what builds up with this is not metabolically active. This enzyme is jacked up. So we should check for all patients for homocysteine levels. Well, that's also been addressed. And the answer is no. We don't have to screen for the gene, MTHFR, and we don't have to screen for homocysteine. We just touched on that. But just to be clear, homocysteine levels don't need to be screened because they don't require any specific treatment. Although taking a supplement of folic acid, vitamin B6 or vitamin B12 can effectively lower blood homocysteine levels if they're found to be elevated, 
that lowering of homocysteine actually does not lead to a decreased risk of any cardiovascular disease or venous thromboembolic event. Is that wild or what? So yes, you can measure homocysteine levels and you can actually see a drop by supplementation, but it doesn't actually change any clinical outcome. It does not actually lower any health risk. That's actually straight out of the American Heart Association. According to the AHA, they state, quote, At the present time, supplementation with folic acid, vitamin B6, or vitamin B12 for primary prevention of cardiovascular disease based on homocysteine levels is not recommended. Similarly, treating patients with elevated homocysteine and cardiovascular disease does not affect any future thromboembolic risk, end quote. All right, podcast family, let's just put on the brakes here. Let's just review what we're talking about here, okay? The discussion has to do with folic acid versus folate or L-methylfolate. Folate is a natural form of this vitamin, vitamin B9. L-methylfolate is a biologically active form. And then folic acid is a synthetic form that's found in our foods or in supplements, okay? So the argument on social media is we should take folate, and that's absolutely correct. We should get it from dietary sources, but we don't. So then the next argument is we should use L-methylfolate. Well, there's an answer for that because it doesn't really matter. That's a spoiler, but I'll tell you why in just a minute. But this whole issue of using the biologically active form rests on the premise that MTHFR polymorphism is prevalent in the population, and that may be the case. But checking for that or its byproduct, which is homocysteine levels, is of no clinical benefit, all right? So in this case, the biological, the biochemistry argument is valid, but the clinical utility and application is not there. Okay, back to this discussion about folic acid versus L-methylfolate and what the data have to say. So let's get into this. As we've already discussed, folic acid is a synthetic form, whereas folate occurs in natural food items. Natural folate can be found in leafy green vegetables, citrus fruits, and beans. And of course, a woman is recommended to eat a balanced diet rich in natural folate from food, especially in the periconception area. However, it's very difficult for most women to get the daily recommended amount of folate through food folate alone, and that's according to the March of Dimes. Also, according to the March of Dimes, they also stick with that 400 micrograms recommendation preconception. But here's a clinical pearl. Once pregnancy occurs, they actually increase the recommended amount of folic acid to 600 micrograms. I think we forget that. Everyone remembers the 400 micrograms and the 4,000 micrograms, but everyone forgets about the 600 micrograms. 400 micrograms is preconception. And then once pregnancy occurs, it's recommended to take 600 micrograms of folic acid, especially up to the first 12 weeks, the first three months of pregnancy. Now, that's at that time, that's not so much for the neural tube because neural tube defects really should be handled by preconception folate levels because it takes at least a month to incorporate that synthetic folate into the body, regardless of polymorphism. But the extra amount of 600 micrograms for the first three months really has to do with prevention of folate-deficient anemia, all right? So those are two different things. To prevent neural tube defects, you've got to have folate already on board when pregnancy happens. That's why you take it one month at least before conception, with preferred being three months before conception. But you continue all the way for the first three months to help prevent folate-deficient anemia. 
regarding L-methylfolate in pregnancy as a supplement. Yes, there is data that it can raise serum folic acid levels, but these studies are small, independent studies with very limited participants, and there's nothing that compares to the population-level data that exists for folic acid. Proponents of L-methylfolate usually cite an RCT from the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition back in 2004. Yes, this was an RCT, but it was a very small N. It was a very small number. Total participants were 144. Participants were randomized to receive either supplementation with 400 micrograms of folic acid, 416 micrograms of L-methylfolate, 208 micrograms of L-methylfolate, in other words, two different doses, a standard and a lower dose of L-methylfolate, or placebo, all right? So it was basically four different arms, standard 400 micrograms folic acid, 416 micrograms of L-methylfolate, half that dose at around 208 micrograms, or placebo. And they found that concentrations of homocysteine and plasma folate levels pretty much didn't vary at the end of four weeks. Of course, it was a slower rise to repletion of folate levels with the lower dose of L-methylfolate. But all of them basically rose serum folate. So they say, ah, see, L-methylfolate does work. It absolutely does work. But remember, this endpoint was not neural tube defects. It was a blood test to see if they all had the same capacity to lower homocysteine levels, which we've already talked about is not really that big of a deal, or raise serum folate levels. And that is good. That's a good thing that that all of them rose at the same amount, but one was not necessarily better than the other. By the way, I am not against L-methylfolate at all. I think it's a great supplement. But the idea that L-methylfolate should replace all folic acid is just not evidence-based. And there's just no data for that. I'm going to get to the end. Remember, I'm going to give you the final recommendation from the CDC, specifically addressing this at the end of the podcast. But for now, suffice it to say, it's just not medically accurate to say that L-methylfolate should absolutely be the one chosen over folic acid. If a patient wants to take L-methylfolate, fantastic. It'll likely raise serum folate levels. We know that. But there just isn't the population-level data regarding neural tube defects as exists for folic acid. So if a patient wants to take the more expensive L-methylfolate, no problem. Just be aware that we don't have the true data regarding neural tube defects. We know that it raises serum folate levels, lowers homocysteine, but we don't have the population-level evidence regarding congenital anomalies. Other advocates of L-methylfolate over folic acid also point to a clinical review published in 2013 in the Journal of Perinatal Medicine. These authors looked for data to see if supplementation with L-methylfolate could reduce biomarkers of folate deficiency to the same level as folic acid. And again, the conclusion was, yes, folate biomarkers improved with L-methylfolate. But once again, this clinical review has to do with serum markers, not the final outcome of neural tube defects. And of course, it would follow. You would, you would think that if folate would be replete, it would therefore reduce neural tube defect, but we don't have that specific outcome checked. And that's the limitation of L-methylfolate in print. These deficiencies in L-methylfolate data have been raised by the UK's public health ministry. According to the rebuttal statement in defense of folic acid, the UK's public health ministry states, quote, To date, no population-based studies have addressed rates of neural tube and other birth defects in infants born to women taking methylfolate in pregnancy, while the population-wide data on the beneficial effects of folic acid are unequivocal, end quote.
Now, if you're thinking, what do I care what the UK says? I mean, we live in America. Go USA. Hey, no problem. We've got plenty of listeners across the pond. So thank you for those listeners in the UK. Cheerio. That was my best European, I don't know, English accent. Anyway, don't worry. We've got a USA response as well through the CDC. So hang tight. But the UK was pretty firm. I mean, they gave this this whole press release going, look, we've heard the L-methylfolate business and discussion. It's been brought even to the health ministry. And yeah, the data is not there. Before we get to the CDC's response, I want to get to two potential advantages of L-methylfolate that, again, are held by proponents of L-methylfolate use over folic acid. The first has to do with folic acid masking vitamin B12 deficiency. In other words, they say, look, you're going to mask it. It's going to be difficult to detect later, and you're going to get delayed diagnosis of anemia. Well, that's actually been checked and rebutted by the CDC. According to the CDC, standard lab tests can readily measure a person's B12 status. This means that vitamin B12 deficiency can be detected and diagnosed very easily. It also means that not being able to identify the anemia caused by vitamin B12 deficiency, as described in some case reports, is unlikely to remain a population-wide issue. A recent population-based study examined anemia among people with vitamin B12 deficiency before and after folic acid fortification, and they found that folic acid did not delay the identification of B12 deficiency after fortification began. The other claim made on social media is that high folic acid supplementation could actually be harmful to the body as unmetabolized folic acid can accumulate in the body. But high levels of unmetabolized folic acid have not been conclusively proven to occur in the body, nor have they been linked to any adverse health issue. Now, there were some small reports of possibly showing an increased cancer risk with unmetabolized folic acid, but these were very limited and flawed studies. And as of right now, the CDC states, quote, folic acid is safe and does not collect in fat, but instead dissolves in water. This means that any amount of folic acid that is not used by the body, so-called unmetabolized folic acid, goes through the kidneys as urine and out of the body, so poses no direct link to health adverse effects, end quote. All right, so now we have basically debunked the two main claims of L-methylfolate advocates over folic acid. And again, if a patient wants to use L-methylfolate, that's absolutely fine. It doesn't seem to be harmful, but to say that it absolutely is superior to folic acid, well, the data is not there. No, it doesn't really mask vitamin B12 deficiency. And according to the CDC, unmetabolized folic acid is really not a health concern as far as we know right now. Now, as we get to the end, here's the final take-home messages from the CDC. This is all based on population-level data and the available data of L-methylfolate as it stands at the beginning of 2023. According to the CDC, regarding these non-folic acid sources of folate supplementation, quote, supplements containing forms of folate other than folic acid like L-methylfolate should not be confused with the natural food folate found in fruits and vegetables. The effectiveness of these supplements in preventing neural tube defects has not been studied. And the CDC also addresses the issue of polymorphism of MTHF in the general population. The CDC states, quote, The MTHFR C677T variant affects how the body processes folate. Some may have heard or read that folic acid is not safe if you have one or two copies of the MTHFR C677T variant, which is the most common. This is not true. 
even if a patient has one or two copies of the MTHFR C677T variant or other polymorphisms, the body can safely and still effectively process all different types of folate, including folic acid. End quote. So the final take-home message is eat your leafy green vegetables. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. We're all taught to do that as kids, right? Eat your greens, but nobody does. The best source of folate is actual folate, (laughs) the natural form. But according to governmental agencies and major medical organizations, because our diet lacks folate in sufficient quantities, the only supplement that's been known to decrease the risk of congenital anomalies, specifically neurotube defect, is folic acid. Again, if a patient desires to use L-methylfolate, that's no problem at all. But there just isn't the data regarding neural tube defect. Yes, it seems that L-methylfolate can raise body's level of folate and decrease homocysteine levels, but we don't have that population-wide data yet. So again, don't dissuade a patient. It's perfectly fine if they choose to do that as part of their informed consent process. But just remind them that most of the data in all major medical organizations currently, as of 2023, still recommend folic acid. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. As I mentioned, I am not against L-methylfolate at all. We simply have to recognize and be honest with the limitations of the data. Well, I hope that podcast was helpful. And as always, we're thankful for you. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls. Clinical Pearls.